Hello, I'm Constitutional Attorney Katherine Henry, and welcome to the Constitution Segment Recap for Season 2, Episode 23 of Restore Freedom Weekly. We had a lot of technical difficulties, and so we ended up with three different uh, portions of live stream and a fourth video that was uploaded. All important and that's why we stuck with it to make sure you had all the information on these five new important supreme court of the united states court opinions so uh with that being said we're going to roll right on into it like i said this is just a simple recap so to hear that full discussion although it is a bit bumpy uh go ahead and check out the link that's on page two for the slideshow and you'll be able to um uh watch the video in full with all the parts. Um, all right, so there are five new uh, important uh, Supreme Court of the United States decisions. Now these are five out of the 10 most recent decisions. These are the ones that when I looked at the, the top 10 or the most recent, 10 most recent decisions from the United States Supreme Court, um, I saw these five and they stuck out to me as something that you would wanna know about. Why? Because they cover topics like free speech, uh, religious accommodations, limits on the powers of administrative agencies, duties and limits of state legislatures, the protection of private property rights, racial justice, and more. Now, courts don't make laws, but their opinions can't simply be ignored. So that's why we've undertaken the, the task of informing you about these important cases. Also, make sure to check out our true or false questions, which we still do. We just do them on YouTube now. We weren't getting enough responses on other platforms to continue doing them there. But every Tuesday between 10 a.m. and 10 p.m., you can answer the true or false question of the week. And just make sure to check back at 10 p.m. for the answer when it'll be posted there. So another reminder before we get into the substance of these five cases is check out Article 3 of our U.S. Constitution, because that is where you'll see the judicial power of the United States. Now, the judicial power is necessarily separate and distinct from legislative power. Legislative power is the power to make laws. So there is no power to make laws in the hands of the judiciary or the court system. So there's no case law, there's case precedent. And we've had a lot of videos discuss discussing that very topic. Now the separation of powers topic is something that it's not word for word written into the constitution. Although common sense would indicate you look at article one, it's separate. Article two, those powers are separate. And article three, and those powers are separate. And they're delineated that way for a reason. Now, you look at some state constitutions, like the Michigan State Constitution, Article three, Section two, and you'll see the words separation of powers of government written right on in to the text of the Constitution. So despite what any court says, keep in mind that the U.S. Constitution always remains the supreme law of the land, and oftentimes courts get it wrong. In fact, you'll see in the decisions we'll talk about today, uh, the ones, the two that we'll go into the most detail about, they admit that they've gotten it wrong many times and for far too long. Now, these five important decisions are Biden v. Nebraska, Groff v. DeJoy, 303 Creative LLC, Moore v. Harper, and Students for Fair Admissions versus Harvard. And if you uh, look at this slide, you'll be able to see the list of the 10 most recent decisions right on the U.S. Supreme Court's website. If you click the purple link right through the actual uh, slideshow today, you'll be able to see um, this uh, 
portion of their website pull directly up and you can click all around and see all the decisions that they've made recently. You'll also see on the first slide where we're talking about each of these five cases, an orange link, and that is for the decision itself for that exact case. So that's the slip opinion as it's called before it makes it into the book of published decisions from the US Supreme Court. So make sure to check out all of those as well. Now, the United States Supreme Court itself has said that the Biden v. Nebraska case stands for, well, the Secretary of Education does not have the authority under the HEROES Act to establish a student loan forgiveness program that will cancel $430 billion in debt principal and affect nearly all borrower, borrowers. So what's uh, there's two things to take away here. One is, is a practical matter. If you're a student loan borrower and you were thinking, oh my gosh, a portion or all of my student loan debt might be erased, that's no longer a thing. That's not going to happen. But the more important thing to consider is what the Supreme Court is recognizing about administrative agencies. Now, they're not going far enough in recognizing the full unconstitutional nature of administrative agencies, but what they are doing is recognizing that administrative agencies have no powers beyond what Congress gives them specifically by statute. If there's no law that says an administrative agency can do X, Y, Z, they simply can't do it, period. All right, uh, Graf v. DeJoy, that's one that you need to check out. It's about religious accommodations. And uh, basically it's putting the burden onto the employer if the employer wants to, to deny a religious accommodation. Now there can be some bad consequences out of this. And we talked about that more in depth in, in the full episode, but there are some good consequences about this. In fact, think about all the religious accommodations that people uh, have tried to seek in the last few years, just with the mandates that have been happening one after the other after the other by federal government agencies and state government agencies and local government agencies. Well, this is something that is paving the way to recognize that if a government agency wants to stop you from having a religious accommodation, then they are bearing the burden of proof to um, essentially show that it's not something that they can abide by. Okay, so moving on, 303 Creative LLC, uh, the United States Supreme Court says that the First Amendment prohibits Colorado from forcing a website designer to create expressive designs. Specifically here, she was talking about expanding her website design business to doing wedding um maybe photography, videography, but website design specifically for weddings and did not want to be forced to do websites for gay or lesbian weddings, although she would do other kinds of websites for them, just didn't want to put her creative touches and put her uh, passion and drive and talents behind something that her religious beliefs do not allow her to support. So, um, that is what is at issue here. And of course, Colorado thinks that they can tell you to do whatever you want to do, although they think everybody should be able to be high. So apparently the people who made these laws are high, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but some good things that came out of the, this decision, a simple one to share with you first. If liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. And secondly, in this case, this the, these are the exact words of the United States Supreme Court. In this case, Colorado seeks to enforce, uh, seeks to force an individual to speak in ways that align with its views, but defy her conscience about a matter of major significance. Uh, in the past, other states uh, 
in Barnett, Hurley, and Dale, those are other cases, have similarly tested the First Amendment's boundaries by seeking to compel speech they thought vital at the time. But as this court has long held, the opportunity to think for ourselves and to express those thoughts freely is among our most cherished liberties and a part of what keeps our republic going. Of course, abiding by the Constitution's commitment to the freedom of speech means all of us will encounter ideas we consider unattractive, misguided, or even hurtful. But tolerance, not coercion, is our nation's answer. The First Amendment envisions the United States as a rich and complex place where all persons are free to think and speak as they wish, not as the government demands. Because Colorado seeks to deny that promise, the judgment is reversed. So just poetic words to support our First Amendment liberties. And that moves us right into Moore v. Harper, which we're only going to start on briefly here before we'll have to pick it up in part two of a Constitution segment recap video. Um, but part one here, I'll tell you that the court says, uh, even though this case is about gerrymandering, it's about an equal protection argument. This is uh, people who sued uh, the state legislature, essentially, for redrawing their congressional districts after the census came out. And they're saying that those, the redistricting is gerrymandering and it violates their rights to equal protection under the law and to be able to have proper voting representation, et cetera. And what's interesting is that the court says, no, the question here that we're concerned with is whether the elections clause of the U.S. Constitution uh, insulates state legislatures from review by state courts from compl for compliance with state law. So essentially uh, what they're saying here is uh, that the issue is not what we believe it to be. So we'll pick that up in part two of our Constitution segment recap. So make sure to click on that in just a moment. Hello, make sure to like, follow, subscribe, and share. Restore freedom. Hello, I'm constitutional attorney Catherine Henry, and welcome back to part two of our Constitution segment recap for season two, episode 23 of Restore Freedom Weekly. We covered the first three uh, cases that were the most important cases of the recent uh, uh, decisions made by the United States Supreme Court. And uh, this section or part two of the Constitution segment recap is going over the last two, the two a little bit more involved ones that we spent a lot more time on. And we're going to try to squeeze these all into uh, this next 10 minutes here. But basically, uh, there's, some prize, there's some surprises in Moore v. Harper. Now, this case was just decided two weeks ago, and you would think it would be about gerrymandering or racism or equal protection, but it's not. The United States Supreme Court, in this entire opinion, gives very little time and effort uh, and discussion to gerrymandering or any of that. And what it does is focus on state legislators, uh, state legislatures, what their functions are, what their requirements and duties are when it comes to Article 1, Section 4 of the United States Constitution, when they're supposed to regulate the time, place, and manner of elections. What does that really mean? Uh, and I have some slides in here that I left where it talks about what exactly that does mean. And, uh, and then a bunch of different things that come out of that discussion with the United States Supreme Court, where the court is saying that uh, it's not just the federal constitution that controls how state legislatures put those regulations into place. No, it's also their state constitutions that control 
how they put those election regulations into place. So state legislatures have to abide by the state and federal constitutions when they're putting into place election regulations. And uh, therefore, state uh, state Supreme Courts then have a say, they have a stake in uh, determining whether a state legislature has gone astray when they are violating or if they are violating their state constitutions or state laws. So with that in mind, when you have a challenge that someone raises to how redistricting is done after a census, like as in this case, what the United States Supreme Court is saying is that, well, that state Supreme Court has every right to jump in and answer the question if the the issues being raised have any bearing on state law or the state constitution. And that is what was raised here. So with that in mind, Um, I just wanted to point you guys out to a couple of other things. One is the concept of judicial review that the court uh, touches on in a few different places. But basically, the main thing here is that courts of justice, the court is saying, have the duty to declare all acts contrary to the manifest tenor of the Constitution void. It's not just an option. If they see the Constitution being violated, they need to step in and do something. Another piece to this is just the general concept of limits on state legislatures. The court throughout this entire opinion is really touching on the concept of the fact that state legislatures are creations of uh, state uh, constitutions, that without the state constitution, there would be no state legislature. And so all powers that a state legislature has uh, really arise out of that state constitution in the first place. And so state, uh, state legislatures must abide by those state constitutions. They must follow them. Uh, they cannot go beyond them, etc. So um, there is a, a bad part of this case that uh, seemed to accept and maybe even expand on a prior um, decision that came out of the United States Supreme Court in 2015 when it comes to independent redistricting commissions. But it's it's basically dicta. It's kind of extra. And it's not a main point discussed here, but it is something I just wanted you guys to be aware of. So um, I kept it in there nonetheless. Um so uh, when it comes to, let's see, what are some of the, um, so basically uh, one of the things that I wanted to point out about this case was uh, when the court is talking about where federally protected rights intersect with state law. Okay, so this could be not just with elections, this could be with anything where you have a federally protected right, but then there's also state law the state court gets to be involved and they have a place and a say in how that state law is being followed or violated. But the federal courts can't just back off. Uh, They can't have a hands-off approach. No, they have an obligation to ensure that state courts' interpretation of state law do not evade the duties or responsibilities or limitations put on to them by federal law. Because federal law and uh, constitutionally enacted federal laws and the federal constitution are what are uh, the supreme law of the land here. 
So uh, lastly, uh, really I wanted to touch on the private property rights. You wouldn't think in a case about redistricting that they would be talking about private property rights, uh, but they do. So where federally protected rights intersect with state law, again, this case goes beyond what you would think it does. And it touches on a case that it just recently decided as well, I want to say a month uh, prior, in Tyler v. Hennepin County, which is out of Minnesota. Um, it's Minneapolis, actually, I believe was the city she was in. And uh, so the court is saying here that state law is an important source for defining property rights, not a source for those property rights, but for defining them. But at the same time, the federal constitution provides that private property may not be taken for public use without just compensation. Of course, that's in the Fifth Amendment. So as a result, states cannot sidestep that takings clause by disavowing traditional property interests. And that's a case that's been on the books for uh, 15 years. Uh, no, 25 years. I can't even do my math. But it's been around for a while, so it's not a new concept. Basically, you can't have a state government or local government saying, oh, well, this doesn't really involve private property rights. Funny thing is, that's exactly what the city of Ormond Beach is doing to me right now in our case that we have going uh, for our ordinance violation uh, matter. But at any rate, um, and in fact, the court says that states may not by ipsy dixit transform private property into public property without compensation. So uh, with that being said, uh, the United States Supreme Court, their final holding on this matter was that state courts do retain authority to apply state constitutional restraints when legislatures act under the power conferred by them uh, to them by the uh, elections clause but federal courts must not abandon their own duty to exercise judicial review uh, but the case that i spent the most time on uh section four of our uh video uh, parade of, of information this week was the students for fair admissions and that's dealing with affirmative action and Harvard University or Harvard College and uh, University of North Carolina. Uh, the, the court says the admission programs at Harvard College and the University of North Carolina violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. So this involves two of the oldest institutions of higher learning in the United States. Harvard was founded in 1636 and the University of North Carolina is the nation's first public university. And what is this about? Well, this, this is all about affirmative action or race-based admissions criteria. And as the court says, these cases involve whether a university may make decisions that turn on an applicant's race. So what the court says here is, I mean, there's just a lot of profound stuff in here. And I hope that at the very least, you're gonna read all of the quotes that I've plucked out and put into the slideshow, but I encourage you to read the opinion for yourself. There's a lot of good stuff and you don't need to be a lawyer to read it all. So the court says that any law which operates upon one man should operate equally upon all. And that the 14th Amendment will hold over every American citizen without regard to color, the protecting shield of the law. And they continue by saying that for without this principle of equal justice, there is no Republican government and none that is really worth maintaining. 
the court then does an incredible thing and it owns up to its prior bad choices. And it says that despite our early recognition of the broad sweep of the Equal Protection Clause, this court alongside the country quickly failed to live up to the clause's core commitments. And so they're saying that there's a series of precedent that was bad and it in fact, you know, kept the racism and the racial divide going. Uh, they reiterate things like separate cannot be equal and that the Constitution is colorblind. Uh, and stating important things like eliminating racial discrimination means eliminating all of it, not just the parts that you think are bad. If you think others are okay because it benefits other groups, no. Uh, the court says that their programs uh, that they're talking about here, the, the um, affirmative action and admission programs, failed to articulate a meaningful connection between the means that they employ and the goals that they are pursuing. And college admissions are zero sum. If a benefit is provided to some applicants, but not to others, that necessarily advantages the people that are getting the benefit and disadvantages the uh, the other group, right? It's, it's at the expense of that other group. They're not going to then be admitted because only so many are admitted every year. Harvard's admission process rests on the stereotype that, quote, a black student can usually bring something that a white person cannot offer. That is literally from Harvard. And UNC is much the same. Uh, they have testimony in this matter that says um, that race in itself says something about who you are. And we're not just talking about a general cultural identity, but about you as a specific individual, and it speaks for you. That is a stereotype. One of the principal reasons race is treated as a forbidden classification is that it demeans the dignity and worth of a person to be judged by ancestry instead of by his or her own merit and essential qualities. But when a university admits students on the basis of race, it engages in the offensive and demeaning assumption that students of a particular race, because of their race, think alike. And the university furthers stereotypes by doing this that treat individuals as a product of their race, evaluating their thoughts and their efforts, their very worth as citizens, according to race. And at the heart of the Constitution's guarantee of the equal protection lies the simple command that the government must treat citizens as individuals, not simply as components of a racial, religious, sexual, or national class. Social discrimination cannot justify racial classification that imposes disadvantages upon persons who bear no responsibility for whatever harm the beneficiaries of the race-based admissions program are thought to have suffered. And prohibiting, excuse me, permitting past societal discrimination to serve as the basis for rigid racial preferences would be to open the door to competing claims for remedial relief for every disadvantaged group. Now we talked a lot about this, but we're low on time. So just think of some of these other things as well. Um, one of them I want to point out is that the, the dissent in this case, they're fighting to defend a judiciary that picks winners and losers literally based on the color of their skin. 
while the dissent would certainly not prohibit permit university programs that discriminated against black and latino applicants it is perfectly willing to let the programs here continue in this in its view this court is supposed to tell state actors when they have picked the right races to benefit that's what the dissent is fighting for and it's not discrimination is not okay whether it's to or from any particular race, it's just not okay, period. Justice Harlan knew better, and this is something that dissent and the majority agree on. In view of the Constitution, in eye of the law, there is in this country no superior, dominant, ruling class of citizens. There is no caste here. Our Constitution is colorblind and neither knows nor tolerates classes among citizens. Many universities have for too long done just the opposite, and in doing so, they have concluded wrongly that the touchstone of an individual's identity is not challenges bested, skills built, or lessons learned, but the color of their skin. So the court has turned down the Harvard and UNC admission programs uh, because of the guarantees of the Equal Protection Clause and uh, gave some of those specific reasons why. So uh, with that being said, I invite you to check out the full episode that we had. Uh, check out that Wednesday Way to Get Involved Challenge and tomorrow's Freedom Fighting Tools for Friday. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great day.